0: everyone, welcome to uh, the Cranog. We decided it would be fun this week to look into the vampires and werewolves of Scottish folklore and do a little bit of a, of a competition to see which one's better. So we'll find out if Folklore Scotland is Team Jacob or Team Edward. Um, on the vampire side we have myself and David, and then on the werewolf side we've got Mila and Rashida. So this is, um, there, there's literally only two vampires we could find anything about. So this is one of two. Um, this is the Gorbals Vampire. And I'm just going to read out what we have on the website. And then I'm going to chat a little bit about um, the kind of phenomenon behind the Gorbals Vampire. So this is a more modern one. But I th- I would argue that it totally counts as folklore. Um, so in September 1954 in Gorbals, glasgow rumors had spread among the school children of a terrible seven foot tall vampire with iron teeth rumor had it that this vampire had kidnapped and murdered two young boys and feasted on their corpses despite the adults and police trying to calm the hysteria the children decided that action had to be taken to bring this terrible Gorbals vampire to justice what happened next was tr- truly remarkable after school, hundreds of children of all ages armed ourselves with blades and crosses, stakes and dogs, and descended upon the city's southern necropolis to hunt the Gorbals vampire. The children prowled the graveyard as night fell, checking behind trees and headstones for the awful creature that might be lurking there. A thick fog rolled in, and in it many shadowy figures were caught by firelight. The children would rush to this silhouette, and then another, as they thought they saw the vampire lurking in the mist. Their hunt continued until the rain started. The children went home, only to come right back the next night and the night after that. By the third night, interest from the children was beginning to fade, but the fear of the Gorbals vampire had already set itself in the heart of the community, as the press picked up the story. Hysteria spread throughout Gorbals and soon enough the wider population, until discussion arose surrounding the impacts of American horror comics on young people. So was the Garbles Vampire simply a creature born of mass hysteria and children's imaginations or was it something more? So I think this one's really fascinating. It's hard to tell whether something like this would be possible nowadays. But, um, you know, I think everyone has experiences in school of, you know, ghosts that everyone knew about. I know in my primary school we had the White Lady of Balgay Bridge and everyone knew about her. Everyone used to, like, claim that they got photos of her. Um, But this is just, like, folklore on steroids it's like blown so much out of proportion um from just like a rumor that might might have just been um a character in a comic book because there was one that was um like a a a giant i think with iron teeth that was in a comic book that kind of got spread that came over to the uk from america and that's why this whole discussion about american comic books came about um, so you know something that just starts as a, as a character that children get invested in becoming this real life fear and like having this actual like real life essence to it I think is just like the absolute epitome of folklore um, it's this story kind of like snowballing and snowballing until it becomes an actual thing that impacts the real world um, because this, legisl- this like, debate was actually had in-, in parliament about these comics and kind of the impact that it had on, on children so it's folklore like properly influenced in the real world. And for that, I, I would give points to Team Vampire because um, what have Team Werewolf done to uh, influence society, guys? Let's go.
1: <laughs> and it's quite interesting that it was such a modern story as well. Like, well. Compared to everything else that we normally talk about, the 1950s is pretty modern. Mm-hmm. And the fact we have so much sources from the Times so and newspaper articles and all those kind of things and that it's now even to the day is kind of cited as an example by kind of psychologists and things of as an example of mass hysteria Mm -hmm. and how this individual concept could be something that every like a massive group of people decides is a real thing Mm -hmm. and that they're actually seeing it and it's out there and things even though there was there was nothing there as far as we've ever seen there was no giant man lurking about with iron teeth
0: it does make me wonder what that situation would look like today with like social media and especially tiktok because on the one hand I think it's easier to spread that hysteria. Like you look at things like um, cryptids and I think things like... um, Like there's this fascination with skinwalkers on the internet at the moment and like kind of this like group, this community behind that. But at the same time, I think with TikTok and like social media, it's much easier to keep it in the digital realm. Like I think back then, there was like almost an excuse to go out and hunt for the vampire because there wasn't a screen to sit on and kind of look up sources and videos of it. Whereas I think nowadays... You would mm. more be looking at videos of other people, being like, "Oh, look at this cryptid I found." I don't know. It's it's just interesting because I it you know social media is ripe for spreading hysteria as we've seen um, in the past few years. But at the same time, um, there's almost like a barrier yeah. that didn't exist in Gorble's vampire world. Yeah.
1: And I think it's quite a fun example as well and that we, a lot of times when we're doing stories, we would maybe joke about, well, that wouldn't, like what would happen if somebody came along with that kind of story nowadays where they'd be like laughed out or whatever. But actually in relatively recent times, Mm -hmm. it caused a mass group of people to go out and think that is actually the case.
2: I do wonder though sometimes, because from my experience at school, there was always some kind of spirit or demon that you could summon. And it means that like, even now at the old age of 25, if you got me to walk into a bathroom and say bloody mary three times in the mirror i'd be away i'm not doing that i'm not (laughs) risking that like (laughs) so i i do wonder like that is what an example of where we have like a a physical reaction you know people went out and tried to hunt for this thing but Mm -hmm. stories like this have always been really big in schools they are just more focused on like the the spiritual the ghost instead of having like a creature um or you know like in our school, me at Rebecca and I went to school, there was tunnels under the school and people used to say that there's, like something lives in the tunnels, you know? And I'm sure every school has some kind of story like that. So is it just this particular situation or is it just kids? And about that, is it just kids at all? Since older people went in for the Gorbals vampire, Again, 25, I'm not risking Bloody Mary coming anywhere near me. And I've said it twice now, so I can't say it again see like if that happened today
0: and there was people away out on balgay hill like a whole load of them searching for the white lady i would get formal i would be like let's go <laughs> i'm coming <laughs> is she real i don't How know but you? i'm gonna come and find I out
1: i was slightly more worried about that story that they were armed with like a load of children armed with <laughs> knives it just sounded very dodgy can
0: you imagine you were just a creepy mat like innocently in the graveyard you were quite tall you may had like unfortunate features And suddenly this child is coming at you with a stake.
1: Yep. And I also like the part that (laughs) Parliament decided to debate was are comic books badly influencing children and not why are our children armed? (laughs) 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 And compared to what I was kind of mentioned before, like we think about old stories and we're saying, oh, well, that wouldn't happen nowadays or what would happen if that happened nowadays. In those ones back then, the kind of lords or the kings or all the kind of authorities at the bee kind of just didn't care or left a lot of it alone unless they were actively inciting it, like mm-hmm. the witch trials and things, they pretty much had nothing to do with it. Whereas nowadays, the parliament has decided it's enough of a threat. Yeah. And it's also interesting that you think of the idea of like, all oh, video game violence and all that stuff that's legislated about nowadays or mm-hmm. debated a lot now is a relatively new thing. But like, if you look back to the 50s, it was comic books before that.
0: Well, that was what they argue is like the starting point of all those debates. They say that the Gorbals Vampire is where those debates about like, you know, video games and, and film having influence on children and impressionable audiences comes from. It's the Gorbals vampire which is really interesting.
1: There we go it's affected society as we know it, all thanks to <laughs> vampires so you know
2: We need to get nerds off the streets that's what we need. <laughs> and also it was just a heartwarming you know tale
0: of a community coming together
2: would with quite, a common goal Would have been quite bad <laughs> if there
1: was just a large man with like silver fillings wandering about though that's a very disastrous ending
2: (laughs) man is murdered by mob of children (laughs) i wonder if it's less popular now because of the knowledge we have so like you can now if someone says oh if you put your hand on the the ouija board it's going to tell you this that and the other but you can google and you can see like oh so this is how it works And this is the lore behind it. And I know when it was created. Like you can find out every little thing. And it takes the mystery out of it. So it used to be if if you didn't know what you were talking about. And your older brother's friend told you something. you go, yeah, that sounds right. You know? So if someone said there's a vampire in town. And it was someone that you liked and respected. I'd be be there the whole way. I'd be like, let me get my knife. I'd recently read an
3: article that... People, It was some guy on TikTok and he was making videos using different special effects of like he was pretending to be a vampire and people in the comments were like taking it quite seriously and everybody thought like everybody's just in on this big joke like they're all his fans and they're just in on it but some of the comments were just a bit like oh my god like that's so cool how did you become a vampire like it sounded a bit (laughs) it sounded like they were believing it a little too much like beyond that kind of inside joke of that community of people that watch the same person
0: it's like when it starts ironically like crocs it starts ironically and then it it becomes a little too real
2: <laughs> don't you dare bring crocs into the yeah world. i'm drawing
1: the line at crocs
2: <laughs>
3: When we think of modern werewolf tales, it's quite easy to picture Twilight's Jacob or The Vampire Diaries' Tyler, people who are mostly men who can turn into werewolves either on a full moon or even on demand. And often these transformations are fueled by rage, something that has kind of become part of the whole lore around vampires and werewolves, and werewolves in particular being the more aggressive. But in Scotland, werewolves are anything but violent beings. Tales particularly from the Shetland Isles tell stories of the wolver, a species of beast that, with a wolf's head and a human body covered in brown fur. Unlike the modern tales of werewolves, the wolver remains its single form all year round and despite its scary appearance, the wolver is known for being very friendly and even considered a protector of lost travellers, children or wounded soldiers. In Ireland, there is an equivalent of the wolver and these creatures were recruited in times of war to help in battles. Though these werewolves fed on people, straying slightly from their Scottish cousins. The wolver however would never attack humans unprovoked. In fact it's common to spot wolver near rivers or lochs, often fishing for their next meal. And the fish wasn't always for them. Wolver look out for their own, being half man and half wolf, they are very loyal to their humans and often leave a supply of fish for for poor people outside their homes, Sometimes on the windowsill, and this is where I hope that people realize in time that wolver have left fish on their window on a sunny day afternoon. Don't want that sitting around for too long. Um, However, seeing a wolver sitting outside a home was seen as a bad omen, and it usually meant that the resident was dying. The wolver will be there for comfort and to mourn the loss of one of its own. Although wolver are immortal, they do have natural predators, the kelpies. For anyone who's new to our podcast, a kelpie is a kind of shapeshifting creature that morphs between human and horse, often luring people to their deaths by drowning them. This is why wolver usually live up high on the hills, keeping them, keeping themselves safe while they rest. And despite their loyal nature, wolver still like their solitude, and would, and you could say they're lone wolves. They often live alone in caves or in burrows, and some of these have been named in the Shetlands as the Wolver's Cave. Or even the wolver's stain, stone, where the wolver would fish. Having peaceful relations with people of Shetland you'd also be lucky to come across a wolver in a time of need or on your travels. Instead of running off screaming you can rest assured you'll be in safe hands and may even receive help in the form of food or directions to nearest village if you're lost in the countryside. However a word of caution should you find wolver bones you mustn't move them as anyone who does will be haunted by a vicious black dog until the bones are returned to their resting place. Wolver shouldn't be disturbed in life or in death.
2: I think that's the most cottagecore werewolf I've ever heard of. In In the
0: context of Scottish folklore, it's like such a whiplash creature because everything in Scottish folklore is going to kill you, going to lure you into its den or take you under the fairy hill and you're never going to escape. But the wolver's just out giving you fish. It's, it's just. And like... even the
1: brownies that help you and do all the work, they're still quite fickle. Yeah. Like... You give them the wrong thing, they're going to disappear forever. Whereas this just seems like a nice, like a a happy, like a, what do you call them? The ones that carried brandy around their neck and helped the people in the Alps. The... Yeah. St. St. Bernards. St. Bernards. It just seems like a happy St. Bernard.
0: <laughs> a good doggo. A so good doggo. Clearly yeah. in, in Scotland, you know, we have to fear water. We have to fear women in green dresses. We have to fear um, fairies but we love
3: dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I think there should be a plus one for the werewolves because they are so kind. They're helpful. They care for the community. They're your loyal, friendly dog down the street.
0: And they're victims of Kelpies. And who isn't a victim of Kelpies? Well, the one that married the Kelpie. Oh, apart from her. The
1: Kelpie's wife did all right. And then the smith that built the chimney. No, the, the, I mean the stonemason the belt That's like chimney. one example. He got like fish for life, don't, and the life not, of his don't, children.
0: Not all kelpies, me.
1: Right? Admittedly, <laughs> <laughs> all of the rest of them kill everyone, <laughs> and that one killed people too. So
2: <laughs> it's interesting because it's a an island tale, which almost all the island tales have some kind of focus on water. You know, if there's a beast coming, it's coming from the water, or they, you know, they're very violent and then we've got this one of the wolver who's just kind even though the wolver is also living on the coast and it kind of makes me wonder where this came from Um, especially since it seems to be stuck in this like man wolf shape and were there even wolves on the islands like or was or were they just thinking of dog
0: i do i wonder if it was because like they didn't have to live with the threat of wolves? if I mean, if if there, I don't know about whether there were wolves on the island or not. If, if there weren't wolves on the island, I wonder if they didn't have any, like... Because they didn't have any threat, they didn't have to deal with them as predators and, like, you know, problematic things with their uh, sheep and whatnot. Big dog that we don't have any context for, so he brings your fish. It's nice.
2: <laughs> I wonder if it's just representing... Sometimes there'll be a person in society who doesn't socialize quite as well but that doesn't mean they're like bad they they socialize in different ways they're showing they're caring for society by having those little like fish on the sill Mm -hmm. but they don't want to chat and don't talk to me so (laughs) maybe it's just a way to tell like kids you know that hairy guy that lives in the cave down the way leave him alone he's doing fine (laughs) i
3: was reading an article that was chatting about the real story behind the shetland wolver and it was basically how potentially they, there was just a family of people that had a genetic defect where they just had more hair. And mm. unfortunately, people started making up stories about them. And oh. <laughs> which isn't That's that great. Because so what's that called? Mm-hmm. Is it Hirsutism, when you've got like the excess yeah. hair growth? Because potentially somebody just had that and they'd never seen that before and they thought, well, mm. it must be a dog. <laughs> This puts me,
2: like, so firmly in Team Wolf. Oh, my God. Yeah. You
1: um, can't do that. Your Team I
2: know. You've got to defend them, but they're not worth defending. You wouldn't be going after a wolver with a team of children and knives. Come on. I kind of want to just, like, hold his hand, you know? <laughs> Let's take a walk on the beach and hold a wolver's hand. Stop simping for the wolver.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like what the wolver spell spelled. It was sightings up, up until, like, the early 20th, 20th century of, of it. It was like an almost Loch Ness monster, but smaller. Yeah. Like, people would see it and try to photograph it and everything.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
1: Just interesting that most of the other ones are, like, heard about of things from hundreds of years ago, whereas that as well was relatively recent. I'm trying to figure out why this tale remained a nice creature and everything else. That even where it had, had slightly more in-between origins, where it was maybe not nice, but it wasn't evil or anything, it had been turned sinister by... Like the influx of Christianity and that had kind of corrupted a lot of the creatures into being more violent ones from what they were before to try and put people off the idea of these pagan animals. Mm-hmm. But that one just seems to have remained quite a nice little creature.
0: Just quick fire. What, what side are we skewing towards? I don't even think I need to ask.
2: <laughs> Definitely werewolf. Come on. He's so kind, so loving. And unlike every other creature in Scottish mythology, he's, he's a pal. This is a this is a beast I can pet.
1: But what has he had discussed in Parliament? <laughs> you know? <laughs> the
2: garbles vampire is an activist. He's an ally. <laughs> well, they are still discussing the reintroduction of wolves in the highlands. Maybe we Maybe. bring the case of the Wolver forward and we say, they're great. <laughs>
1: So Becca covered a kind of more modern incarnation of the vampire, the big uh, man, seven foot tall figure, the big sharp teeth. Mine's a bit different. It's the She, which is Scotland's own kind of weird, uh, vampire-like creature. It doesn't have the fangs and the sharp teeth and anything. It's not a big tall man with a cape. It's a woman, and traditionally quite a pretty younger woman. Um, their descriptions and what they wear, I think some of the older writings describe them in green much like the fairies are known for wearing green and being attracted towards green dresses and clothing. Um, and then in the, some of the other Highland legends they are known as wearing white. I read one that was based near Stirling area that they were wearing black. Um, but I think in general they tend to be green or white and they're known as white ladies as well as bavanshi or the um, fairy women up in the kind of North of Scotland. So I wanted to learn a little bit more, at the start just about what Bavan she actually meant because a lot of them said it was either like fairy woman or woman of the fae. But I was like, well, woman translated from Gaelic, not was my, un- wasn't my understanding of it, but it might've been like an older word used Bavan. I'm not sure. So I put it into um, Google translate to see what it would come up with. And um, the first one I did when I typed in, um, what was, I typed in Bavanshi just as it was and then translated that and it said baboons of peace, <laughs> um, which I thought was probably not what was intended. Uh, I tried again after that by translating um, a different spelling of Bavanshi because there's a couple of disputed spellings in the text uh, and then that one came back as she's a baboon. So. <laughs> um, so something going strange there um, but that gave me a good laugh to start with um, which is good because otherwise the these vampires are a little bit um, evil well maybe not evil they, uh. gen- they tend to be justified ish as much as you can justify mass murder um, so, <laughs> so, um, I've kind of described their general, but nice, fair appearance. Typically, longer hair, green dresses, younger women. Uh, they do have cloven hooves, so if you get a glimpse under the dress, you tend to know they're not a normal person. But uh, the people they tend to prey on is in the dark. They've normally had a few drinks. They're not as as wary. One of the stories that we've had covered on the podcast before Graham had done, it was probably the most famous story of the Bavanshi's. it was four hunters that had been in the forest um, and they'd been out hunting deer. Bavanshees are kind of known as slightly as protectors of like wild animals like the deer and things and they think that kind of links with the cloven hooves and everything. They're the protector of these animals. So when there's been a hunter out hunting them, they can track the smell of the blood on the hunters back to wherever they're at. And then in the story that Graham had told, it killed, well, uh, the women appeared at the door, and they were like, all oh, these beautiful women and they want to dance. They always want to dance, seemingly, in all the stories. So if any beautiful women appear in the woods and want to dance, I'd be suspicious, number one, even if you don't spot the cloven heaves. Um, but these ones weren't. They were just delighted to have a dance. Uh, but one of them, partly through the dance and had seen the, fla- the skirt flared up and spotted the hooves and he ran out and hid behind the horses um, and the other three got massacred and this one behind the horses was saved and um, a later folklorist decided that was because the horses would have had iron hooves and the bavan she like most fairy creatures in Scotland have an adverse state to iron so that's that and they apparently also don't like horses very much I just saw that written in a lot of places no particular stories to back it up but it's, just the, Kel- it's the Kelpies really don't like iron Maybe the Kelpies are after them too. Maybe it's just a universal opponent of both the werewolves and the vampires. So in, in Graham's story, it was um, slightly like they were the defenders of the forest and the way defenders of this animal and that's why they killed these hunters that were out killing the animals that they were due to protect. Um, they don't like vampires bite the neck or anything like that. They have very sharpened talid nails that they'll use to slice the throats uh, and then some say just let them bleed. Other ones, they say they drink the blood like a vampire would. Uh, So they're slightly darker, sinister creatures, but quite cool. You know, as far as they go, they're quite impressive creatures. And as well, while they prey on men, if they decide on the rare occasion to prey on a woman, they become another Baban Shi. They don't die. They just become an eternal being like them. And that's how they make more of them. Uh, Another story that I looked at was one where it was two sons of a lord that were slightly entitled and decided to go drunken hunting out in the forests, and arrived at the keep after it had all been locked up for the night. So they were wandering about the outside, trying to find somewhere to stay. And they stumbled across a log cabin in the woods. And they hadn't really noticed before, but they saw a light on. They thought that would be a safe place to go and stay. They wandered in, and there, sitting on the table, was a nice hot pot stew. So they sat down and tucked into that and much enjoying their time there then they saw in the doorway a beautiful woman they thought oh, we couldn't want for anything more now great food fire on sitting here in the warmth and now we've got a woman too and she was a beautiful lady with a long dress and yeah all was going well until she killed one of them and the other one <laughs> managed to get away obviously to tell the tale um and she killed him during the dance which is typically what they do they, appear at first, kind of standing nonchalantly, having a brief chat, normally with some sort of excuse. Uh, so, oh, they're travelling this way, they got lost, or uh, oh, you have uh, just out cutting wood and you're in my house, so we'll stand and have a chat. and Yeah, and then the dance happens and then they're dead. But, obviously one has to escape or else we wouldn't have a story. So. <clears throat> and then another one I had that was more of a story about a big black dog, but, and it's more implied that they are Bavanches rather than being to them. but this um, big black dog was one that uh, this man had gone out to find a new dog for hunting and it was a new litter born he decided he wanted that one and the man uh, that had bred them said i would take anyone but that one because the dog will only be good one day in its life and then it'll never be useful again and it will be never useful until that day but he decided that was the dog for him and he kept it and raised it and became the biggest black dog but whenever he went out hunting it would slump down the porch, refuse to move everybody told him you need to get rid of that dog, it's costing a fortune in food it never does anything until one day he went out with 15 of his other friends they were on a, a hunting trip they went out to the Isle of Jura and they got a bit caught out by the weather so they ended up sleeping in a cave that night and as they were asleep well, just about to go to sleep they were all saying one by one, oh, I wish my wife was here, I wish my girlfriend was here, I wish my mistress was here. And they were all calling out their wishes to the sky. Apart from the last guy, the guy with the black dog, he said, I'm quite content sitting here by myself. We'll have a break from each other for the night. Uh, and he went to sleep and he was woken up by a kind of noise. He looked about in the dark dim and there looked like there's 16 women came into the cave and we've got an angry dog. He spotted a Baba <laughs> But they anyway, so we've got the sixteen women coming into the cave and standing around about the men sleeping, with this one with the black dog now being awake, it's kind of suspicious. And as they lunge forward to attack, the black dog leaps out and takes down this one, and all the rest of the men are killed by these women. And it doesn't explicitly say they're balancing or anything like that, but it's kind of implied in that way that they're slit throats in the night by these women. It fits with the, the overall image, but this black dog protects them. So that was another one. So I've managed to find a few stories about Manchee. They're not as common a creatures to read about in Scotland as things like your Kelpies or your Giants or your Trolls or your Brownies, um, but there still seems to be a few accounts. There's also accounts by the folklorist Donald Mackenzie, who's one of the ones that kind of wrote a bit more about them than a lot of the other folklorists. Um, folklorists. Uh, he wrote a bit about them at the, around about the turn of the century. Um, and he said that they could also transform and shapeshift into hooded crows or ravens in order to travel between distances, which can explain some of the ones where they appeared from nowhere. Um, so you yeah, have an interesting creature. And my other bit was just that they are kind of, well, they're always described as being slightly similar to things, and I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation, but cheese or something like that, which are, come from Irish... Mythology. I'm from Manx lore, which is the Isle of Man, I think. And they have a fairy like creature there that is a woman and it was always described as beautiful and in a green dress. She doesn't slit their throats or kill them in a bloody way, she enslaves a single man at a time and then essentially drains their life essence they don't live very long but they are always very knowledgeable and very good at everything they're doing for that brief time period uh, and they need to be enslaved within them and that's a thing that comes up then a lot of fairies in Scottish mythology as well like they, they have to consent to being their slave and they go away with them or sometimes they're trapped by the fairy queen or that kind of thing Um but it's the idea of the drain and the life essence, There was comparisons done with that. And looking at some earlier incarnations of the Bavanshi, there's been a lot of suggestions that it was around about the introduction of Christianity that they became a lot more physically violent or like graphically violent anyway, with the blood and the drinking the blood and the slit in the throats and things. And before it might have been more like this kind of Irish mythological creature that enslaved them and drank their life essence, but not physically drank their blood. Parts. the only other bit was it would also be covered the other week there by Mila that one of the most famous locations is at Slains Castle um, and there was kind of debates about whether Bram Stoker was kind of influenced by this when he was coming to the idea of Dracula a lot of people say he was influenced by a lot of other more queerly Dracula-like creatures but he was definitely at Slains Castle and maybe was influenced by the architecture in some ways or the layouts and that kind of thing and or just the kind of aesthetic it's very ethereal feeling place mm-hmm. So, and that's apparently they lived in the rafters there. So maybe as their hooded crow forms and would descend down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my general bit about the Bavin chief, So in short, fierce, pretty, <laughs> semi-justified, and feminists. This is... <laughs> Girl boss. <laughs> yeah,
2: there we go. Gaslight, gatekeep, suck your blood. Um, I find it really interesting. There's something about a vampire that people just need to make it sexy. Like... The Bavan she is a beautiful woman and it's in all the tales as you were talking about she's described as being absolutely gorgeous except for the cloven hooves and that's the only way you can know because you never know what a woman is keeping in her skirts it's always a secret but I was reading about the origin of the vampire as we know it and a lot of that traces back actually to gothic literature so one of the first vampire novels we have is The Vampire by uh, John Polidori who based it his character of the vampire off of byron who was considered to be the sexiest man of his time <laughs> so like if from from the first in britain at least our conception of vampire has always been powered by like like sexual tortured and i wonder sometimes if like we have now we see the signs of vampire based on this gothic literature and we're like taking the label and giving it to things in the past. Because if you think about the Bavanshi, like you were saying, they're not really sucking blood, they're sucking life force. Mm-hmm. They're very, very sexy. <laughs> but that's the only thing they have in common with how we would think of a regular vampire, I suppose. She's more of a, like an incubus. And a protector. You know, most vampires are driven by self-preservation. Or, you know, the need for power. And even the
0: way that, like, kind of more Slavic traditional um, vampires kill, there's almost, like, an erotic element to it. Like, it's always biting the neck and it's always the image of, like, the woman lying out on, like, the chaise longue, um, like, with her neck like this. Um, whereas, like, the Bavanchi just cuts you with her fingernails. That's <laughs> more
1: of, like, a Lady Gaga in the <laughs> American Horror yeah. Story style.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and she
1: was, I think, well, it was kind of implied that prior to her being more of a feared by the hunters and things, she was they were seen as kind of protectors of the forest idea mm. and of the creatures within it. So some followers compared it to them and to things like dryads and all them kind of things mm-hmm. from protecting style creatures, mm. and that they would just become more corrupted by the influx of Christianity and then Gothic literature and that kind of thing. So.
0: I mean, I can definitely get on board with a gal who's just out there protecting the forests and killing unloyal men. Seems like a, a, a good vigilante. If she
1: did originally end up more like the Irish equivalent, then she, was, she did kill them, but not like violently, and they were very skilled for a while before they died. So they lived a good but short life. <laughs> <Yeah.
2: coughs> I mean, it was more, yeah, like repercussions for your actions. It was nature's punishment
1: well that was interesting I... one of the points that was raised by what was a celtic based magazine that used to write around about the end of the 19th century start of the 20th century and they had reported something i wasn't able to find much in it but i didn't look particularly hard um, about that one of the reasons that a lot of the men would be killed in some of these stories not so much the, the famous one that graham had done but the kind of two other ones i mentioned so the two entitled lords and the, uh, the one with the, the black dog and all the people it was that they'd wished for a beautiful woman at that point just in the evening before they went to bed and it was said well, at least in this magazine that uh, in old Scotland if you made a wish before you went to sleep um, but did not follow that up with a prayer to God that wish did not have the protection of God and so it would be fulfilled in the most kind of manipulative mm. worst way it could be delivered so they were delivered with these beautiful women's, but it would kill them. Yeah,
2: But that's always been the way with the, the she or the fairies. You know, you have to be very specific in what you ask for them because they'll manipulate you. And I suppose that's a common theme in folklore around the world as well. With uh, jinn, especially in Arabic um, folklore I'm thinking of, where you wish, make a wish and you say, Oh, I want to live forever. And you'll live forever, but you will grow old. <laughs> So considering the wealth of racy novels featuring hunky werewolf Scotsmen wandering the hills in Tartan and ravishing unsuspecting young women, it's surprising to find that the werewolf as we would know it is less popular in Scottish folklore. So as Mila has already covered, the wolver seems to be the only de facto werewolf hiding in the hills. However, that's not to say that the wolf is absent from folklore. That would be surprising considering the widespread respect for the animal that can be found in tales from all over Europe. Most often, it features as it would in reality, occasionally threatening the wayward traveller or prowling through dark woods. More mystically, the Kaliak is said to have ridden a large wolf as a steed. And then in other stories, the wolf is the gullible companion of a crafty fox, tricked it into all manner of hijinks. But I suppose a wolf does not a werewolf make. And this is a very scientific discussion that we're having. So we need to have at least some aspect of shape changing in order to argue that a werewolf is taking place. Um, so, an argument could be made then based on that that a Kirk Grimm could be a kind of spiritual werewolf. It is described as either a large black dog or a small, dark, grotesquely formed person that protect the church and its ground. Although the majority of stories focus on the appearance of the Grim Hound, J.K. Rowling being one such writer, the addition of a uh, strangely twisted features that serve the same purpose is suspicious. Uh, so it's enough for me to think maybe they're one and the same. One day you see a strangely twisted human, the next day you see, ma- you see a dog. They're, they're the same person. We have a werewolf people. Um, at least it's enough for me to advance this argument. And we could also connect it to its Viking roots. So the Kirkgrim comes from Norse legend. In Viking lore, we also have the creation of berserkers who would sometimes fight in the shape of a bear or a wolf. So surely a dead bers- uh, berserker could do the same in its sentinel form. And some people believe that Kirkgrims come from the tradition of the first person buried in a churchyard would become a guardian or sentinel that would protect the Kirk. And uh, it's inhabitants the other ghosts uh hiding beneath the graves so if we'd buried a berserker maybe what we get at the end of it is a ghost werewolf i'm say i'm just saying the next writer's block stricken romance novelist is looking for a supernatural creature to feature on the front cover dressed in a kilt nothing else we have an option a ghost werewolf Someone's going to be into that. Another, perhaps more defensible werewolf comes from a more recent tale. During the construction of the first public road on the Isle of Skye, something supernatural began occurring in the Pass of Odale. Workers claimed that they were being haunted by something, something awful. Men gathered in pubs after their shift to discuss the creature, thereafter dubbed the Beast of the Odale Pass. Whatever it could have been, it did not show itself in only one form. Some described a man, others a man with only one leg, and still others a large greyhound-looking beast, prowling just at the edge of their vision. Its shrieks and wails were driving the workmen from their bothies, while haggard-looking travellers turned up at these pubs claiming they'd been thrown down by the creature. But the hauntings ended as quickly as they'd come, with the discovery of a body of a man by the roadside hands stiffly pressed to two wounds on his side and his leg remnants of a fight with some manner of creature surely inhuman now i know what you're thinking a were greyhound come on machine is that any better than ghost werewolf uh but there is definitely some werewolf shenanigans going on and i will stick by this argument I'd like to think as well that the body that was found was killed by the werewolf, finally revealing its presence in Scotland, driven by a bloody quest for revenge, and then retreating to obscurity once its macabre mission was fulfilled. So, to conclude, in a battle of werewolves versus vampires, the werewolf is obviously much more personable. By all accounts, it seems to be a fairly honourable creature that won't mess with you as long as you don't mess with it, and Edward Cullen could never... So maybe if Jacob had worn a touch of tartan, he'd have won. Love that.
3: And I love the theory of the spiritual kind of werewolf. Because when I was researching the wolver story as well, there was quite a bit of stuff that came up about is the wolver actually a physical being or is it a spirit? And it was like a little bit of debate as it could go either way because of the immortality angle. So definitely a link, I think. And yeah generally that one's a bit more vicious though
2: yeah a little bit more defensible but i guess along the lines of the bavin she it's you know a a right crime i find it interesting that in the the other one the beast of the odal odal odale the beast of the odal pass was you know vanished once this one person had died so it makes me think that one person Stole a wolver's fish, and here we have, you know, his his cousin the greyhound coming over.
3: (laughs) It's like takes it all. My big my big brother is gonna beat you up to a whole new level. Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. One of them's gentle. One of them is like a little bit crazy. Good cop, bad cop. Bad cop. Exactly. Yeah. I just found it interesting that so you do you've got loads of stories of like the church grim and the grim hound and just prowls churchyards and make sure you don't mess things up. And then the Kirk grim weirdly, most folklores have connected it to the Viking legend and the superstition that the first body you bury comes back as a spirit. So they used to bury a black dog, but it's only in the Kirk's that you sometimes get descriptions of not just black dog, but like, like a corpse looking person. So just connecting the dots in my head, I thought, uh, yeah, okay, to be fair, it's a reach, but there's very little out there about werewolves. Scottish folklore loves a black dog. Just, they just come up quite a bit, big black
1: dogs.
3: I feel like all of our stories have had a black dog, apart from Rebecca's, because in mine, a black dog come up. I'm would sure there was come a
1: Labrador on the hunt. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but like in mine there's a black dog that will haunt anybody that moves wolver bones
1: yeah
3: as well so the black dog's kind of
2: a protector but selectively (laughs) it's a spiritual protector again so that's just tying into the whole thing The werewolf is the spirit of scotland point to the werewolf i also wanted to kind of talk about um we talked how about how vampires were like you know, sexy English gentleman is where we get this image from. The werewolf gives this much more, like, in, in modern romantic fiction, it's this more, like, rugged, masculine. I just find it interesting to see that, like, people have turned to a different supernatural creature because our ideas of vampires are so entrenched. Also, what happens to the tartan when he turns into a wolf? Where does it go? it kind of always yeah you're right like it's always like the
3: bad boy like mm-hmm. even in twilight you think about it, like jacob was kind of like trying to swoop in and steal the girl and <laughs> in this like again they're sort of
1: the wool wolf isn't the bad boy in scotland though we've got the little kind of introverted nerd wolf <laughs> up in shetland <laughs> and then we've got the the guardians of the churchyard that are just chilling out making it's sure fun. no evil's going on they're a bit more fierce, but only if you mess with them.
0: Do we want to do closing
2: arguments for each side?
1: I didn't know I had to prepare a closing argument. <laughs> I put more effort in. It.
2: Honestly, I don't think we need arguments. I think we can all agree that the werewolves won.
1: I I did vampires, and I still I'm uh, I'm enamored by this yeah. wolver. He just I kind of want one. I, <laughs>
0: I wasn't expecting to be I wasn't expecting to be won over so much.
1: No. By the wolver.
0: Thank you for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that aims to make Scottish folklore accessible using digital platforms, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, pop us an email at info at and you can find all of our social media as well as a list of sources in the show notes below. The charity also now has a coffee page, which you can find in the show notes if you would like to help us continue the work that we do. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.